yeah, absolutely. We're talking 60 million. Okay. Um, and, and you, and you can't see anything, you can't see anything, you know, a cash flow for basically five years. So oh. it's, it's not for the faint hearted. Um, but that, but that's the scale, that's the scale we, we did it on, uh, within five, six years, we were profitable and, and now we're, we're, you know, we're reinvesting now. So that, that changes things for a few years, but, um, yeah, we're, we're a very profitable business and going forward. I mean, that's the thing. Um, we put the, my parents have put Craggy Range in a thousand year trust, so it's, it's yep. never to be sold. Hello and welcome to Trillions. I'm your host, Elise Grace, and today I'm chatting with Mary Jean Hutchinson, otherwise known as MJ. MJ is the daughter of billionaire Terry Peabody and the director of family owned Craggy Range Winery, one of the top 50 wineries in the world. MJ visits the best restaurants around the globe selling her family's wine. In 2012, they entered into a partnership with the Rothschild family to produce a special wine called Rimapair. MJ explains why the wine business is not for the faint-hearted and discusses women in business, plus teaches us some interesting facts about winemaking. This episode of Trillions is sponsored by Xenox Diamonds. Mention my name or the Trillions podcast and they will give you a free upgrade to platinum with any engagement or wedding ring purchase. Find them on Queen Street in Brisbane or order online. Mary Jean, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So your, your name is Mary Jean Hutchinson, but for the sake of uh, keeping the conversation flowing, I'll call you MJ, if that's okay. That's what most people call me now. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's get straight into it. So um, there's a classic story that you, uh, back in 1993, um, sat down with your parents and had a conversation about uh, and starting a new business. Can you give us a bit of an insight into what that what that lovely dinner was with your parents and, and uh, what was the outcome of the conversation? I actually think it was more around 1991, but anyway, that's, okay. it's, we won't change history. Um, Dad, okay. manufacturing, waste management, um, recycling products, which is great, but but was just wasn't that female friendly. And mum and I, I had a background in events and my mum had had in the early, many years ago or in that time, the Fountain Room restaurant in the Cultural Centre. And I don't know if you're too young to remember, but some will. Uh, yeah. So hospitality certainly wasn't too far from our, our background. And we wanted a business we could all be involved in. And whilst his were very worthwhile businesses, they just weren't for us. Uh, so we did come up. He, t he tells the story that he was wined and dined and gently cajoled. I think he was basically <laughs> nag, nag senselessly. The poor man had, been, had a long trip away and, and we did prepare him dinner and we both loved to cook. And um, by the end of the dinner, convinced him that we should go into the wine business. I, at that time, pictured I was getting married, starting a family. I was, I was studying or, or then started studying wine marketing from Roseworthy, which is now University of Adelaide. Um, I pictured a hobby farm down in the Yarra Valley or something like that, a small thing that we could just be proud of the wines that, that we made, but um, not, not too onerous. So he woke up, he says, with a hangover and a promise to the two ladies that he couldn't break. Uh, and I do often wonder who, who can you break? What ladies do you break promises to? But regardless of that, uh, we decided to go into the wine business. So I went on with getting married and starting a family. And mum and dad started looking around the world for an established winery at that time. They thought that they would buy a, a winery. And um, within a few years... 
pardon? It takes a lot to start Sorry. a winery, doesn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. But within a couple of years, whether it be, um, and they went to the obvious beautiful parts of the world, Burgundy, Bordeaux, the Napa, they're originally American, Margaret River in Australia. Wow. But within um, a few years, they or a couple of years, they realised that they didn't want to buy somebody else's winery. Uh, they didn't want to inherit the issues that might be around the winery or that was more from my mother's perspective as she is a perfectionist. And from my father's, the ones that they would have loved, that there would never be a return on investment. And he really did, this isn't a folly, it had to stack up financially. Mm. So then we started looking for land um, to start from scratch. And Western Australia, uh, Margaret River was was very appealing. But we came upon New Zealand through, through a, a few, um, dad, my father's um, truck manufacturing importer at the time, trucks stopped at, my dad had Western Star trucks, also owned Montana Wines, and my father mm. was in New Zealand for a trucking exposition and uh, exhibition, and um, the head of Montana Wines said, you should really, who knew that dad um, was interested, you really should have a look around New Zealand, there's still extraordinary land available, and dad went to visit Kumu River, which is on the edge of Auckland, and makes still a family-owned winery that we work with, the Brakoviches. They make exceptional Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs. And, and the thought was, if we're making exceptional wines so close to a major city, there's still great opportunity here. So we started looking. And at that same time, my dad, um, his, his bank in, in the UK was the Rothschild Bank. And he was at lunch with Baron Eric Rothschild, which is always a great name to throw around. But yeah. he said to dad, New Zealand's a future. You should look... At New Zealand and we actually have ended up in a joint venture with them in New Zealand over the years too where we make wine so the Rothschilds we make Sauvignon have made Sauvignon Blanc and, and Pinot Noir that they they're very Bordeaux based so um, they don't produce those grape varieties um, and they just have distributed those for several years in wow. in Europe uh, so that there, there were two factors that took us to New Zealand and when we did go there we the, we were blown away by the fruit quality. It was still early days outside of Sauvignon Blanc, as, as you're familiar with. Um, but the fruit quality, and Martinborough, one of the places that we have our main land holdings, um, the fruit quality of the Pinot Noirs, so, and, and the reputation of the Pinot Noirs from, from Martinborough, even then, um, so outweighed their, their production. You know, they made tiny volumes, but they were so known on the world stage of Pinot Noir. So oh, it's, yeah. been, it's been extraordinary that we were able to buy land from scratch and plant and develop our own winery. Yeah, a long-term wow. vision, though. It's certainly not, not a hobby farm. Yeah, so it, it takes quite a while to get established by the sound. So your dad, um, Terry, went in search of the best location from all around the world. So that, that says something about your winery in New Zealand, that you, you searched France and you searched all these other incredible wine regions and that you settled for New Zealand. So that's that's incredible. And then so so then you plant um, grapes essentially. How do you choose what grapes to plant? And um, and how we we went. Uh, sorry, sorry. It's okay. No, I was just wondering, like, we, how, to get a visual of how it, how it. So you buy a, a block of land. Do you have to flatten it? Like, what happens then with the grapes and all that kind of stuff? You really try not to flatten it, just okay. you want the natural. Uh, so you buy a piece of land, but you buy a piece of land that you know you want to grow grapes on. Mm. Um, and we we went more the old world, which was plant the grapes that, that are appropriate for the site. And we've gone into different regions. So um, our cooler climate wines that you've enjoyed, the Sauvignon Blanc, we've planted in Martinborough, 
predominantly and we keep coming back to Martinbury. We weren't tied to any one particular, to any region anywhere in the world, but also in New Zealand when we went, we weren't tied to any region. So we have planted different grape varieties in different parts of New Zealand, oh. but we keep coming back to our two main areas. But I'll, I'll explain that a bit better. So um, we knew in Martinborough or had great faith in Martinborough that Sauvignon Blanc would do well and Pinot Noir would do well. Um, so on our lower terrace, which is younger soils, we planted Sauvignon Blanc on the top terrace and they're naturally very two different terraces. Um, we planted Pinot Noir and, and within that some small parcels of trials and we'll always do trials of, we have Riesling there but we and, and Pinot Gris, um, but we have done trials and continue to with other grape varieties too. So you don't always completely know off the bat. So there is trial and error, but that's cool climate that we know those varietals work well in. Then in Hawke's Bay in the Gimlet Gravels, um, we did take a bit of a, a bet on this. This land um, had it previously been owned by a cement company who, which is dad's background, wanted to mine it for the gravel, these incredibly gravelly soils. Um, that are infertile for farming or anything else, but they're great for grapes. Grapes are different oh, to any okay. other, uh, any, just about any other crop. Uh, you want them for, for, for wine, you want them to struggle. You, you're not looking for big, fat, juicy, healthy grapes. You're looking yeah. for quite um, concentrated, small, higher skin content to juice. Um, so it's, it's a different to having an orchard, say, or, or table grapes. So in, in the Gimlet Gravels, we planted Chardonnay and the warmer, riper, um, riper reds, as in Burgundy, uh, Bordeaux style, sorry, and, and um, Syrahs. Wow. So two very different places. But again, in, in Gimlet Gravels, uh, we, we run trials. We've planted some Tempranillo that we're making a blended um, rosé out of with Merlot and Tempranillo now. So um, that's an Italian grape variety that loves the dry uh, dry seasons, which we've had two now. So it's not that every year all the fruit will be right for Craggy Range either, and, and we don't make it if it's not good enough for Craggy Range. We declassify or sell the fruit on or, or make a different wine out of it. So... Um, we won't release it as Craggy Range if it's not good enough. But we do, we still do trials and we have other, we have another Chardonnay vineyard in, in Hawke's Bay out by the sea that's beautiful for Chardonnay there. And, and at our um, main home of Craggy Range, we plant Chardonnay as well. So we have gone to different regions, but um, whilst it's trial and error, we know what suits the, the, the region and the temperature and the, the climate, basically. Gimlet yeah. Gravels is a warm Mediterranean climate, uh, which is very similar to Bordeaux. And, and um, our Martinborough Vineyard Tamuna is very similar to, to Burgundy, basically. Wow, that's fascinating. So you went from 91 to meeting with your dad to finding the land, <laughs> planting the grapes. And then how long does it take the grapes to grow and, um, and, and make your first bottles of wine? So we bought the land in, well, we first, mum, dad and I went to Hawke's Bay in 1995 and drove to the top of Tomata Peak and looked down on a piece of land with nothing on a few sheep on it and said, that's Gorgeous. the home of our yet to be named winery. And we're, Tomata is, is the extension of a mountain range called Craggy Range. So that, that name's crystallised. Uh, we bought Gimlet Gravels and um, Tamuna Vineyard, Martinborough, or the land, the farmland, in 96, 97, planted 98, and our first crop was 2001. 
Before, wow. prior to that, we did um, take over some other vineyards and just to, just to start in the winemaking process. So our very first vintage was over Sauvignon Blanc and um, Riesling, which, which is still a great um, shame we don't have more, but tiny amounts. You start making tiny amounts first. So um, 19, 2001 was our first proper vintage of, from Craigie Range, from Gimlet Gravels and Martinborough, but they were tiny amounts. So yeah. that's from young fruit, you get very little... Um, from young vines, you get very little fruit, but we were incredibly lucky that that the fruit was amazing, and it did really let us know that the Gimlet gravels had been a great decision buying buying this this um, shingle basically buying a gravel pit. Yeah, cool. Doesn't look like a gravel pit now, but but you want the vines to struggle; they're inherently lazy. So yeah. if if they have water, they just go wild and um, become lacking in concentration of, of, of any flavours and characters. And, and I mean, if you see, that's, I guess, what determines uh, to a very large point um, the cost of a wine. If, if it's heavily cropped or there's a lot of crop left on the vines, it will be a thin, you know, lacklustre wine. Um, mm. So that costs a lot less. If you take Sauvignon Blanc, for, uh, for an example, um, the $5 Sauvignon Blancs that you see that land, can land in Australia from New Zealand or even those made in Australia, we, we couldn't we couldn't bottle water basically and get it to Australia for that. It's just, it's a very <laughs> different, very different proposition in the winemaking and, and the viticulture and, and in the farming. Yeah. And so Craigie Range is the name and you spoke before we started the podcast about the labelling and uh, I know that you studied marketing as well. Um, uh, can you tell at the reputable was it Roseworthy in South Australia? Roseworthy, yes, yes. And so never, how, never quite finished. I had the oh, daughter instead. Well, it sounds like you're doing a pretty <laughs> well. No, I did. From I was, I was close to finishing. Yeah. So, so yeah. with your marketing background, um, how do you, how do you go about designing a label? Did you design that yourself, or did you have a major input with the designer? Um, and and we had my uh, again my mother, but we had a designer Helen um, in New Zealand, a graphic designer. But my mother's attention to detail um, is extraordinary. So we collected, and they they travelled extensively through Champagne and areas as well. So we collected a lot of ideas of, of what we wanted to do. But we were very um, determined in that we wouldn't change the label once once we'd established it. We would do special releases, or our prestige is that has the mountain range, but the actual Craggy Range logo, we never want to change. So we put a lot of time and energy into that before we ever had wine in a bottle. Yeah. And it's a very beautiful label. label. It is it's yeah. it is quite simple. And if, if you look at it, the it, it's it's close to a wine glass and it has Craggy Range in it and it has the earth if you look at the dots and the sky so terroir which means um the how what goes into the soil or what is in the soil and and the the sky and um and in the glass so it's it's very representative and it's i think a very beautiful label and and we never want it to I be agree. anything else we yeah, don't want to modernize it or yeah i did say to you though as i'm aging i wouldn't mind if the, the print of the actual grape variety was a little larger but we won't <laughs> I think it's beautiful. It really, it really stands Thank out you. when when I'm at a bottle shop, and um, yeah, I, I love it. I think it's a beautiful wine. I'm, I've drunk it myself, and I'm sure that my my family enjoy it as well, if I recall correctly. So, um, yeah, <laughs> amazing. And we won't back to that. We won't release release it if it's not good enough for Craigie Range. So it's um, it is it's a stamp of quality. We're we're ruthless in what we won't put in the bottle. 
Yeah, it sounds like that, which is fantastic. Um, so you studied wine marketing, like you said before. Why did you choose to to study wine marketing specifically? Did you did you because know? Because we wanted wine? to start a winery. Oh, yeah, no, okay, this so. was later in life. But yeah, no, I didn't start until I was probably twenty eight. Okay. So this was once we decided that that we wanted to go into the wine business. Oh, okay, gotcha. I understand. All right. So and I had a tutor. I had a tutor here too, Tony Harper. So um, yeah, this was before we were actually, well, as we were just starting with the nineteen ninety nine release and and before that. So I, I had a tutor for two years and I was studying wine marketing externally from. Yeah, Rosebery, which was a brilliant course. Is there much that you learnt from that course that you've implemented into the business? And and what can you recall anything specifically that that really that you learnt? And if it wasn't for that, something would be different with Craggy. It was as much for me to have the confidence to go face to face with people. So I felt like I I couldn't go out in into any even to a bottle shop to see anyone or. Um, uh, you know, if I was going to work in the business, I had to know enough about it. So there's there's not one true thing. Tony Harper probably more than the course gave me the confidence and taught me how to go out there. I mean, certainly marketing um, that that just gets ingrained in you. And and um, I, I came from an, an events background, so there was a lot of things reinforced. But to have the confidence to do what I do, you you can't go in front of a familiar without having a good knowledge yourself or you just thought of as a fool so it, it was yeah. confidence I think is probably the biggest thing I learned from it yeah so confidence in backing terms of, myself yeah understanding like what goes on in the winemaking process and understanding the different varieties of of um of wine like Sauvignon Blanc versus Chardonnay and things like that is that is that what you're referring to when you at a very basic level that yes yeah. yes it gets it does get more complex and I did a lot of trade courses to in those days, um, distributors run and hopefully will continue to in great courses for well, they were called working with wine and um, people. Yeah, it, it's it's knowing what you what you're talking about, which yeah. I guess applies to any business, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. But I also think that some experience comes out on the job. But it's a it's a fine balance between learning prior and then and then I'm going out. Oh, to the world. oh, experience comes on the job and evolves over years and friendships. I mean, one, one thing with this business that, that we never could have assumed is the relationships around the world that you develop, you know, you're working in beautiful areas. Yeah. We don't. And restaurants um, as well. Which is and beautiful restaurants so and, and the connections and friendships that we've all made. Um, my parents do an awful lot of traveling with Craggy too. When, when they can, they're at, they're at Craggy range at the moment and, in isolation, been, um, I probably range. In isolation, <laughs> what a life. Um, which has been a lot stricter than here. It's been, it's, it sounds fabulous, but it's been quite isolating because they mm. went into complete lockdown, and they're also um, older, so they're, they're over seventy-five, so they're still not allowed into, yeah. you know, anywhere. So it's, it's, it's lifting now. We open, reopen the restaurant this Thursday, which is exciting with with social dis distancing. So distancing obviously uh but it is we're getting we're coming out the other side but it has been a challenge but they normally do a lot of travel with craggy range and um in my calendar uh, you know as as an event like a, a meeting like this pops up there's just things every day that i haven't taken out that say you should be in Mel i should be in melbourne right now and then Aww. i should be at noosa food and wine on friday and um but yes they generally do a lot of travel for craggy range too yeah 
I'm sure it gives you a different perspective. This whole um, COVID has given me a new perspective of life and business and my relationship with friends, family. So it's um it's a blessing in disguise as as restrictive as it is it's a big learning experience and um and technologically we've advanced a lot so that's fantastic um i think we'll be doing a lot more zoom events after this too (laughs) you know that some things will stay where people will realize they don't need to travel as much or they Mm. can work from home yeah that's true so as a woman in business mary have you found any um challenges that have popped up or i get asked this question a lot myself so i thought i'd pass it on to you um, you're actually my first female guest on the show, which I'm super excited oh. about. Um, <laughs> finally, uh, and um, yeah, so have you encountered any specific challenges of being a woman in business? I think I certainly would have if I stayed in my father's business, in in mm-hmm. his background, and it, it was just sort of non you know, persona non grata then. Um, but the wine industry is different. And I'm amazed. I mean, there are a, a good amount of women in it, but I'm amazed there aren't more because it's a very kind industry for the most part. I mean, and, and certainly the space that we work in, you want to help each other. You, you, you want greater good for, for the region. Um, if, if one of us is at the London trade show, um, and, and we don't have a great variety of, we work with a 12 New Zealand family-owned wineries called the Family of 12. But if, if Felton Road isn't able to be there that day and, and um, um, have a great variety that, that you know, is, is not com- immediately competitive, competing with ours, I will show that grape and uh, that, that wine and they will too. So it just, being a woman in the wine business, really, I, I, I think it's a kind and generous industry, but certainly you know, any of the others that could have been an, a, a possibility um, in my dad's background would, would have been horrid. Challenging. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Do you think it <laughs> and be- just, I think <laughs> it's changed now. It's, yeah, that, that was a long time. Well, I know it's changed now, but yeah. um, it's certainly, I mean, as, as working in the wine business too and being a mum um, hasn't been as competing as it might sound. I've, and because it's a family business too, I guess the 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 family the business has been more flexible around me. There mm. being certainly being a woman and wanting a family in business does not always all go that well. So I've been very lucky to to be a family owned business too that that can fit in with with my kids' schedule. Yeah, I'm getting to the pointy the end now. Of, of your family, yeah. How, yes, yes. how old's your youngest now? My youngest is 17, so she's finishing school and the, the rest of all long finished. My, my eldest, who will turn 28 and there's two in between, he's um, with Hutchinson back with my husband's company too. So we both come from family, family business backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. No one's interested in the wine business, surprisingly enough. My nephew, uh, my eldest nephew, uh, is is back living at Craggy Range full time. He's actually in isolation with mum and dad now. <laughs> he came out of the, he came out of the Hong Kong market back to living with his grandparents, but he won't be forever. But he's been with Craggy Range, and his background's in marketing too. But he did a two year cadetship at the winery um, after he graduated, and he worked in the Australian market, and then Singapore, and then Hong Kong. But he's come back to Craggy. He's turning thirty soon. So he's back at Craggy Range full time, which is just wonderful to have a family yeah. member there full time. Do you think that him um, being a little like a generation younger than you, uh, he brings different insights to the business? And, and if so, what are they? Uh, how does he bring a different perspective in marketing? Oh, he's 
lot more tech savvy than me, that's for sure. And we have, we will always have an external CEO. Uh, somebody will always be a better manager and general manager. Um, so the, as a family, we can apply to go into to any role and, and encourage, you know, we don't have any winemakers or anything yet, but yes, David's fantastic in marketing and works actually with two, two beautiful girls in, in marketing at Craggy Range. So get a freshness um, and a lot better ability around things like this, that's for sure. And so how do you market a wine? So obviously you've got a beautiful label, you've got a quality wine. Um, how do you get yourself out there? Um, to make sure people we, you exist. Yep, we, we don't advertise anywhere in the world. Um, certainly, and, and we don't um, go after the, the big prizes whilst we get many accolades and many very high scores and we're ranked, you know, in the top wineries of the world. Um, it's not something we, we seek intentionally. Uh, we are about traveling and relationships and and supporting our clients very different role model even when we started and there's not that there's one right or wrong but um cloudy bay the likes of cloudy bay would you'd have your your offering um at vintage or at, at bottling and you would take that as, um, as the client i'm speaking so say it similar to the bordeaux style of on um system of on premiere you uh, you are allocated x amount of wine and whether you run out of that in two months or, or, or is up to you. That's that's what you've chosen to take. And we, from the start, wanted to to ensure that if people had put put us on their wine list, that, that they could have stock for the entire year. That they would have mm -hmm. their that. So we managed that in a different fashion to, to a lot of the great wines of the world. But uh, for us, that from the beginning too was about relationships and and having a consistency for them with with our brand. Um, so and the you travel. Phys you physically go into restaurants to build the relationships and get the wine into different restaurants. Yes, and then ah. I wine and dine. Yeah, fine. <laughs> I'm missing. I'm missing that part of work. Can that's I, for sure. Can I join? Come work for you guys. <laughs> not you know, You're not the first to ask that, Elisa. People who want my job, uh, but it's not just myself. We have like we have a full time person in London who supports our UK market and European market. We, well, my nephew just came back from Hong Kong, but he was full-time Asia supporting our, our markets there and our distributors. Um, a full-time gentleman in Australia and New Zealand, Mark, who's just now taking over the Asian market, full-time in New Zealand. So wherever we have a strong um, distribution, and we're in, in almost 50 countries now, we will have our own person who supports the distributor. Yeah. So whilst we as a family travel a lot and our winemaker and our general manager, but we, we also have full-time people in, in those markets to support the distributors. Distribution is key. If we, as you say, you, you make the wine, you bottle it, and now how do you sell it? If you, if you don't have good distributors and don't support them well, you won't. You might sell your first allocation to Hong Kong or to London, but it'll sit in a warehouse somewhere and... Um, um, you know get great accolades but but without supporting them you there's there's so many great labels around the world yeah and so um you said 50 countries so what's the future of craggy do you want to get into every country and and how uh is there a certain caliber of restaurant that you go into or you're not not too selective there Oh, we certainly want to be in the best restaurants of the world. That that was always our mandate. And for and for our wines to sit comfortably amongst the greats of the world. And we do constantly, um, we haven't enough 
lately, but we put ourselves um, with the staff, we put ourselves amongst, just on the table, we'll have great wines from Bordeaux, Burgundy, um, Alsace, from around the world, Australia, obviously, um, and, and many other countries. So um, it's not that I always think that our Gimlet Gravel Syrah is the best out of the Syrahs that we're tasting, but it's comfortable and happy to sit amongst the greats. And we really are applauded as, as that now too, um, yeah, and often selected to represent the best of New Zealand and sit amongst the greats. So that, that's been hugely rewarding. But again, back to the, we need to support the distributor. And, and going forward, um, we've doubled our investment in, in Martinborough now. We have so much faith in the wines of Martinborough. Yeah. Um, so we bought this land. This is a lovely story from a gentleman two doors over. Uh, to, well, it's a large parcel of land, but a fourth generation sheep farmer, John Donald, and we're, we're calling the vineyard the Donald Vineyard in, in um, his honour. Uh, he has chosen to stay living behind us in the home. He's, oh. he's staying living behind behind us and when when we go to visit he'll hop in the four-wheel drive and come around with us so we're doubling our holdings there so we will need um future growth or it's it's that that um the demand has outweighed what we can make and this is an extraordinary parcel of land so as that comes on uh well given this covid situation too but that that's that's four years down it we planted Again, as I said, Alice, you want the vines to struggle. So mm. where you would think you'd plant distance to to give the the plant the vine opportunity to grow, we planted them close so that so that they have to struggle. Fine against um, each other, a and little that bit. makes a better quality. Oh, beautiful. So you've got another parcel of land, and um, and yes. you're expanding, and your your uh, your demand exceeds your production, which is fantastic. It's a great problem to have. So how much yes. wine are you making per year at the moment? Uh, we are making, not, not all Craggy Range. With Craggy Range, we're making about 60,000 cases. But wow. as I said, when we declassify all the fruits, not good enough, that can go into other blended um, uh, brands, uh, the, the next being Wild Rock. Uh, and then we will make wines and sell the fruit on. So we actually make over a hundred thousand cases but it's not wow. all craggy range but so is, that, is that a in, lot in, in wine speak is that is that a lot of cases yeah it, it's it's we would be in in the quality of wine but if, say if you bring craggy range back to sixty thousand, we're a moderate size producer but okay. you need scale and that that was dad's thing my my hobby farm was was a flawed concept um unless you're a mum and dad producer and you do everything yourself um, in term, it, to be to be a profitable business, which we really are now, um, you you have to have scale. So um, yes, we, we, whilst we're a medium sized business, for us we needed that to be successful. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, how long did it take you to be profitable? And um, and and what well, the, the, it's not for the faint hearted, as my dad says. It's okay. it's a huge outlay of investment, and and you're we talking millions you know, of investment in, initially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're talking sixty million. Okay. Um, wow. and and you and you can't see anything. You can't see any you know a cash flow and for basically five years. So wow. it's it's not for the faint hearted. Um, but that but that's the scale that's the scale we we did it on. Uh, within five six years we were profitable and and now we're we're you know we're reinvesting now so that that changes things for a few years. But um, yeah, we're, we're a very profitable business. And going forward, I mean that's the thing. 
um, we put the, my parents have put Craggy Range in a thousand year trust. So it's, it's yeah. never to be sold. Um, certainly I know you can, you can contest that, but um, they've gone to every length. Um, it's actually most of the world you can do, or parts of the world, you can do a 500 year trust, but South, South Australia actually has, has a trust that's a thousand years. So the intention is there and the ground, the framework, you know, the, the, the bones of the business are just so extraordinary. And going forward, we know um, the fruit quality and we know what we're doing, the, the winemaking team, the sales team, the, you know, every, every part of the company, we've got 20 years under our belt now. So we just have such a great, um, a great framework. And, and we, we do, we, we have a two-year plan, we have a five-year plan, we have a 20-year plan, plan, and we have a thousand-year trust. So there is yeah. just such structure around the business. Um, again, we, we've, as I said, we've invested heavily again in Martinborough. We're also investing heavily in water. We can't in dams and, and um, we can't assume that water will always be available given yes so we're very long-term thinking you know there's nothing that we don't do we're heading more and more to organics um because we want the ground and everything we do is sustainable farming it's it's not to get four good years out of this is this is a forever option so there's nothing that that we do that isn't with long-term thinking and and with our distribution too we won't go into places and and we've been very lucky not to not to be heavily tied to to china um because it just, apart from the very top um, echelon, it China, China isn't loves a market. New Zealand wines. They, yes, they yes, but it, it just wasn't a market for us with the premium end, and there mm-hmm. are a lot that have been caught there, and more so Australian than than New Zealand. But it just wasn't. We've gone into China, but it was just never the right place to put a whole lot of work into, and it will be one day, but it hasn't been yet. So you don't, you don't think there's a, there's a top echelon of restaurants there enough to. To there that. is, and we have been there, but but there's nobody travelling there now, Elise. Oh, so they're course, not yeah. selling any. Yeah. So um, the the wine that's there, and and the the producers that count on selling there, uh, will have to find somewhere else for the for the wines. The the thousand year legacy that you guys have planned out it, was that inspired by the Rockefeller family or. Um, was that something that you guys just came up with? The, Roth- the Rothschilds. Oh, the no, Rothschilds. That really, um, not to my knowledge. I think that was mum and dad wanting to know that all the work that we have done will be there forever. Yeah. And again, that, and back, that back to that framework. for you to, to have that. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing because it, it just, there's no, and, and, and for our staff too, for, for the entire team, everybody knows that we're not in this to cut any corners or, or yeah. there's no short term you must do this by this date. It's, we are here forever. And, and we've been really lucky in this time too. We've managed to keep all our staff on full time awesome. around the hospitality too while we're fully closed. We have um, the accommodation now is amongst cottages and lodges at, at 21 rooms and the restaurant and cellar door and, and then the winemaking team. We've been able to keep everyone on because people from the office too have been happy to go out and pick grapes and, you know, <laughs> stay within within their, their bubble, as it's mm. been called in New Zealand. But um, the the teamwork that we have is amazing. Because And again, it's because they know we're here forever. You know, yeah, it's, it's, and that must be incredible for them too to experience different facets of the business now. Obviously, unintended, yes. unintentional. But yes. if, I was, if I was working in, in office constantly... 
and then all of a sudden I was picking grapes. I've learned so much more about the, the business and probably appreciate it more. So that's just a Absolutely. And it, we've always run a, a very small program where at the winery site where the office is too, that the, the office staff have had their own little parcel to tend through the year. Oh, so, nice. so we've always done that on a much smaller scale than what we've done during COVID certainly. But um, yeah, they've been thrilled. Yeah. Get up, get away from your desk, and go out in some fresh air. So it, we've managed to make it work. Which it's it's been a challenging time though for so many businesses. Yeah, of course. So um, when you are travelling a lot, Mary, what are your oh, sorry, Mary Jean? What are your like? What are your tips for overcoming jet lag uh, and also um, keeping fresh and and on the go? I know you. I'm a big. Sorry. Meditation. <laughs> <laughs> meditation but uh, I'm a big and we're a family of travel on only we will not um, check in bags okay so that there's there's 45 minutes out of your life that that you'll never get back standing around the carousel each time you fly at the other end wondering if you will actually get your bag uh, so I'm uh, and and I do have to dress for work too so I take um, something to exercise in and basically two two versions of an outfit and a pair of heels it's shoes that kill you um so i'm a big believer in carry on only and actually my husband forced me to the first few times and i was like oh you nazi uh but once i got my head around it it's it's a really good way uh to travel i do always have a couple of champagnes on board and i know they say all oh, crazy range of the airline airlines airlines have been fantastic customers of ours too that the, um, the top ones so I do and I know lots I do drink a lot of water but I will always have a couple I call it my sleeping tablet a couple you think it helps? Craig, craggy I think it helps helps me <laughs> helps you <laughs> sleep or helps you on the other end I'll have champagne yeah it's my sleeping tablet oh nice and I actually, I'm not, uh, at least I'm, I suffer motion sickness. So I'm actually not a great traveler at all. I just, I've been through this COVID thing. I keep saying to people, I haven't been motion sick in months. So yeah. it's, um, it's, a, it's a payoff of, of, of the travel, but I do suffer motion sickness. So I do, I take a Finergan the night before I'm going to travel, which yeah. they say does help. So who knows? Yeah. All in my head. Okay. There's some great hacks. <laughs> and, and do you meditate as well? I do, and I do on on. I'll do a um, replay on my phone and just hope it puts me to sleep. When it says "Do not sleep, do not sleep," I'm like, "Let me sleep." <laughs> uh, my husband Scott and I did a retreat in the Himalayas or Himalayas, as the Indians call it, years ago on meditation and on sleep. He's not a great sleeper. I'm actually a much better sleeper, um, and I love yoga too. But but learning to meditate, it was certainly a, a great thing to do. It's hard to stay in the zone at times but I certainly yeah. I play that on loop in my phones and I use um block out headphones noise yeah. cancelling headphones and and just have that play on repeat oh, so I tend to sleep on planes yeah so it's so long ago I can't remember <laughs> I've actually never been on a long long haul flight I've never been out of Southeast Asia so um oh, haven't you you the longest flight I did um was yeah we're meant to go to America this year but that's cancelled that's okay um beautiful okay. so as a woman woman to woman chat um what advice do you have for other women in business who might be starting on their own without the family backing um what advice do you have to women who in any industry obviously um not yeah not uh, yes <laughs> i mean it, it's probably not the right time to to do things now but certainly you don't have to assume 
you'll only be one thing or do one thing. Um, do sounds so cliche, but do do you have to do something you enjoy? Yeah, this. Oh, teach, get, learn what you want to learn, what 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 you're delving into. You know, learn. Well, for me, um, being getting educated before and having the practice, and and um, I used to be terrified of public speaking. So it's practice, but but yeah. also just do do enough things that give you the confidence to know you'll be okay, that you won't embarrass yourself first of all. Um, that that even if even if you stuff up or make mistakes, that that um, you've done enough work in in the area that you're wanting to go into that that you can't just you know be a complete embarrassment to yourself. Yeah, uh, you know, just just don't. And my daughter, you know, who is, I have three sons and a daughter, she doesn't know what she wants to do. And it's like, well, you have to start something and you can keep changing. It doesn't, it's nothing, yeah. nothing's permanent. But I think changing jobs at the moment is probably a bit risky, unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've changed jobs and worked in many different industries. I had a, a, a lot of experience in hospitality um, and loved it. But just for that people to people contact and, and uh, it's just a yes. fun industry hospitality. Um, yes, it's crazy at times, but it's just so much fun. Um, and then it's I the best of people too. Yeah. Sorry, but then what? I then, then I've worked in business development and marketing, and um, and yeah, just various and public relations. So, um, getting a taste of different things, and and now I know what I'm what I love and what I like to do. So I think it's important to to go out there and explore, especially whilst you're young, and not be afraid mm. to as a woman to to try and and um figure it out that way and and find platforms for other things within it too with craggy range um i did i did a fair bit of a fair few charity events before um before any of this and then craggy range became such a great platform for that too so you don't know when you're entering into something you know where it will take you so i guess um be able to scare yourself certainly yeah you know be, be able to be a bit frightened and not not know whether something will come up but have enough now so knowledge around what you're entering into so you won't go for so it. you'll Give just it have go. enough confidence yeah absolutely yeah. okay that's great advice and mary i like to switch the interview around for one question and i get you to ask me a question it can be anything about um about wine or about hospitality or about my podcast um, <laughs> what's any question that you have for me Okay, so when you go to the bottle store, I don't want to get to, you, you said you don't have a great knowledge app, but if you know what you enjoy. Okay. When you go to the bottle, you know, if you're looking for a wine, what, what, what are you attracted to? What would draw you in? Uh, well, I love um, a quality, I like a lighter wine, so Pinot Noir or uh, Sauvignon Blanc, um, sometimes Riesling, and I, I love looking for uh, a, a nice label and and also i look for the region i love wines from new zealand and south australia the colder regions um and then in terms of a label it just it sounds lame but i look at wines that that just that look good in, in on the label so just a yeah clean yep. classy it's a tactile label yeah and then i also um also really like them if they if they feel good so sometimes they have that raised um shine yes uh uh, print to them I think yours might have it I can't recall yes it does it does yeah, yeah. and, and yeah, it's um, a nice feel isn't it yeah so classy yours looks quite classy sometimes I like the the funky labels but um yeah anything too crazy isn't, too. Isn't, isn't really for me unless I've tried it and I know that it's a 
a good one. So there's someone. What are you missing most in COVID? Um, I'd say um, travel. I, I like I'm loving being at home, but I, I really miss travel interstate and internationally. And and we were really excited to have a year of more travel. Um, we didn't do any overseas trips last year, so um, yeah, international travel and those. Um, new cultures and experiences. I lived in China for six months, so I really loved being in a different country and learning all about just different things and having that contrast. So if I can put it into one word, it would be contrast um, because mm-hmm. we're doing the same thing every day and we're, we're staying indoors and going to the same restaurants that we know are open. Um, there's not a lot of contrast. And I think when you, and meeting new people, actually, it's another thing I really miss. Obviously I'm doing a little bit of it through the podcast, but um, contrast gives you new perspective yep. and it's challenge challenges my belief systems and I, I really like that it helps me learn yeah mm, good yeah all right well um mary jean what is your legacy to the world what do you personally want to leave um after you're gone oh certainly craggy range in good shape yeah yeah uh, which again as i said we'll always have external ceos and and general managers so we can't stop it up uh oh happy healthy children gosh Aww, what, what, what else don't we want yeah that's that's and it's it's been challenging times for my bigger ones terence um my second son has a development in in fortitude valley and he's taken over the cleaning contract you know that they're, they're adaptable what i'd like to see leaving is is the kids having a consolidation around what's important to them yeah how much do you need um, how big does something have to be and and about finding a balance. So I do, there's been some light bulb moments during this time, certainly, but but for myself, yeah, happy, healthy family. Oh, that's Absolutely. beautiful. Well, I wish you all the best with, with Craggy Range and with Thanks, Elise. Family. You seem to be doing an amazing job. Four kids and a winery in your lifetime already has just blown me away, really, from one woman to another. Um, keep up the beautiful work with what you're doing. I see you on social media doing lots of amazing things even during COVID. So I think it's lovely what you're doing with your <laughs> family and supporting um, all the restaurants and businesses that you and clients that you have. So it's been wonderful having you on the podcast, Mary. Thank you so much for your time. Look forward to Thanks meeting you. Thanks for having me, Elise. Yeah, <laughs> see you when this is all over. Yeah, Thanks very good. much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in with me as your host, Elise Grace. Do me a favor and drop me a review on iTunes or if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. would love to know what you guys think of the podcast. It helps me keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with all my movements, please check me out on social media at Elise Grace.